Today's sermon text is Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, and Proverbs 9, 9 and 10. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning give guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Instruct the wise, and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and they will add to their learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This is God's word. How are you feeling today? Good? Um, I didn't say this earlier, but I had a dream this weekend. This I think it was yesterday. I had a dream that... Um, I came here to, to preach the word of God, the sermon this morning, and I left the sermon at home. <laughs> and so I have this anticipation of something going wrong, you know. <laughs> um, but it's my pleasure to be here with you this morning and to present God's word before you. Um, Proverbs says, blessed are those who find wisdom, those who gain understanding, for she is more profitable than silver. And yields a better return than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. That's Proverbs 3, verse 13 through 15, and Job chapter 28, verse 28. And you really just want to home in on the phrase, nothing that you desire can compare with her. Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. Nothing you desire can compare with the fear of the Lord, for the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Let us pray. King Jesus, um, come and make yourself, continue to make yourself at home with us. Um, As we sit under your word, as we um, attend our ears to understanding, Would you come and just do what only you can do? Open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your word. Only you can do that. We delight in you today. We anticipate um, you shining um, the light of heaven upon our hearts today. We anticipate that. We look forward to that. And we ask that you would incline our hearts toward all that is good and right and true and peaceable and loving. Would you... Um, deter us from every crooked way and satisfy us with yourself today and forever. Amen. Um, I have three points today. The first point is an introduction to the fear of God, an introduction to the fear of God. Um, And then my second point is um, talking about the fear of God as the foundation for wisdom and knowledge. 
foundation of wisdom and knowledge. The third point is we're going to define the fear of God. And so I guess I do have four points. So the fourth point is how do we cultivate the fear of the Lord? How do we cultivate the fear of the Lord? And I want to present three ways to go about cultivating the fear of the Lord. Um, how many of you are excited about the new iPhone? Um, some of you are. I think it's cost a lot of money. Uh, I'm kind of satisfied with the one I have right now. Uh, but there's a lot of hype about the new iPhone, the iPhone X. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of hype about this phone and its stunning features, such as not having a home button. There's no home button on this phone. Um, I'm acting like I'm holding it here. Uh, <laughs> the phone, it has um, a super retina display. The camera is incredible on it. It has facial recognition functioning as your password, so you don't have to type in your password anymore. You can just raise the phone to your face and it'll open for you. No one else can open your phone if they don't have your face. You know? Right. Um, cool thing about it, it still works. The facial recognition still works even if you cut your hair. Or if you put on glasses, if you grow a beard, the infrared technology will still recognize your face, even if you're in low light. How cool is that? Also, it has wireless charging capability, so you don't have to plug your phone into the wall. Wireless charging capabilities. I'm not trying to sell you on it. Uh, <laughs> in addition to that, the battery life has increased for two hours, an extra two hours. How many of you use your phone just for a little bit, you're on the internet, and next thing you know, your battery life is like this? An extra two-hour battery life, and the list goes on. Tech bloggers are using this very rare English word to define it. The word is awesome. <laughs> now, the features, <laughs> this is funny, the, fe the features of the new iPhone are cool, correct? And they're exciting, unique, facial recognition that's very unique. But are they really awesome? Like, awesome. Are they really awesome? Um, last Sunday, my wife made dinner for us, um, which we freely received from Blue Apron. Now, Blue, anyone you, any of you know about Blue Apron? Okay, so a few people know about Blue Apron. So they put these gourmet meals together for you, ship them to your house, ingredients still fresh, it's amazing, nice um, recipe set up, easy directions to follow. And so um, we got the free meal and canceled the su subscription. So that's what we did. <laughs> Hope no one's listening on the podcast to, from Blue Apron. Uh, so we got the free meal, canceled the subscription. It was awesome. No, it was not. Um, it was delicious. It was delicious. Well prepared, appealing to the eyes. It was flavorful. Um, it was well prepared. She did a great job with it. It was indeed good, but to say it was awesome is an overstatement, an exaggeration. An exaggeration. Let me tell you what I mean. Bob Sawyer's, Barb Sawyer said, she wrote a blog in 2013, and the blog is titled this, Awesome, the most overused word in English. 
That's what the blog is titled. Probably, I think, it's the most overused, misused word in English. Probably. Tim Askew said this, when something describes everything, it describes nothing. That's a proverb for you. When something describes everything, it describes nothing. Now, several years ago, I was walking to my car on a lunch break during a storm, and I love storms. Um, the clouds were dark. It was barely, rain, rain, barely raining, but the thunder was extremely loud. And suddenly, like I've never seen it since, there was a loud thunder, boom, and multiple fingers of lightning began rolling through the clouds, like rolling like this. And the sky was like it was on fire. It was so bright and blue. And in response to that, I fell to the ground on my knees. So it's, it's, I'm in a parking lot. I'm on my knees like this. <laughs> Literally. Um, like, I was afraid, like, and simultaneously amazed. Awe came over me because that was awesome. That was awesome. Now, when Scripture talks about the concept of the fear of God, awe is the best English word we have to correspond to the Hebrew word for Fear. Awe is the best English word we have to correspond to that. Now let's let's define awe. Awe is a feeling of reverential respect mixed with fear and wonder. Dread inspired by something great or majestic. The iPhone is not awesome. A feeling of reverential fear, reverential respect mixed with fear or wonder, dread inspired by something great or majestic. Friends, God is awesome. God is awesome. In fact, God is referred to as the fear of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. Or the awe of Isaac. That is Genesis chapter 31, verse 42 and 53. Genesis chapter 31, verse 42 and 53. God is referred to as the fear of Isaac, the awe of Isaac. So point two, the foundation of wisdom and knowledge. Moving forward. Now the fear of God is a theme that's woven through all of scripture but it's majorly emphasized in Proverbs. Chapters 1 through 9 of Proverbs provides us an introduction to the individual Proverbs in chapters 10 through 31. So chapters 10 through 31, you can find the, the actual Proverbs there. And chapters 1 through 9 presents an introduction. And so in chapter 1... And in chapter 9, we have two statements about the fear of the Lord. So chapter 1, verse 7, chapter 9, verse 10 are bookends for the introduction 
to the rest of the Proverbs. In chapter 1, verse 7, says this, The fear of the Lord of Yahweh, the God of Israel, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. And when you hear instruction, you can replace it with the word discipline. It's the same word. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, chapter 9, verse 10 of the same book, Proverbs, it says, The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So, is the fear of the Lord the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom? The answer is yes. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of God is understanding. The fear of God is the suitcase in which the individual Proverbs of chapters 10 through 31 are carried. So picture in your mind this big suitcase on my right side. And within this suitcase are chapters 10 through 31. And so when you take the fear of God suitcase and you open it up, all the Proverbs come out. So the fear of the Lord provides a framework for understanding the actual Proverbs. The fear of Yahweh as the beginning of knowledge and wisdom means it's the foundation and the source of it, just as the alphabets are the foundation of language. The fear of the Lord being the, found, being the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, what that means is that it's the foundation and the source of it, just as the alphabets are the foundation of language. Therefore, since the fear of the Lord is the foundation of knowledge and wisdom, therefore, no one who does not fear God can truly be wise. No one who does not fear the Lord can truly be wise. Why? Because knowledge and wisdom has its foundation in the fear of the Lord. And so no one who doesn't fear God can truly be wise because knowledge and true wisdom begins there in the fear of God. Now, culture presents man as the center of the universe. Human beings, what I mean by that. Culture presents human beings as the center of the universe. But scripture presents Yahweh, God, as the center of the universe. And the one who fears God is on the trajectory of becoming skillful at life. Because that's what it, that's what it means to be wise. To become skillful at living. So those who fear God are on the trajectory of becoming skillful at living. But this does not mean that those who do not fear God cannot make substantial contributions to life. They can, they have, and they will. But what does it mean? It means that they cannot fulfill their responsibility as God's representatives. Why did I say that? Because fearing the Lord and keeping his commandments is the responsibility of all human beings. And only those who fear God can fulfill that responsibility. Now, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, um, 
Solomon, who was once the wisest man who ever lived, and then came Jesus. So, uh, but Solomon says in chapter 12, verse 13 and 14, he says, Now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. So the duty, the responsibility of human beings is to fear God. And what's beautiful about the gospel is that once we come to embrace Jesus as the king of our lives, God moves in, begins to reconstruct our hearts. There's a new capability to do the things that God desires and requires of us. A new capability. And so we find ourselves practicing and failing, practicing and failing, but we're failing forward because the Spirit is carrying us along. He's carrying us along. Now let's briefly talk about the phrase, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Let's briefly talk about that phrase. That was in Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Uh, once upon a time, Jesus was in a, a synagogue, and as he was there teaching, um, a person with an impure spirit began to manifest. Uh, and so this, this impure spirit begins to say, I know who you are, speaking to Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, I know who you are. You're the Son of God. You're the Holy One of God. Have you come here to destroy us? And so even the unclean spirits recognize who he is and refers to him as the Holy One. And that's in Mark chapter 1, verse 24. So we see knowledge of the Holy One, knowledge of Jesus, knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, if true understanding is knowledge of the Holy One, then how can one be truly convinced that they know God? If true understanding is knowledge of the Holy One, is knowing God, then how can one be genuinely convinced that they know God? How can one be genuinely convinced that they know God? And here's what I present. One can be genuinely convinced that they know God when they rely upon him as the smartest and most influential person in their life. You can be convinced that you truly know God when you rely upon him as the smartest and most influential person in your life. I was meditating on this this morning, that God is not the sum of, the sum of his works. God is not the sum of of his works. When you look around at creation, you see all of this beauty and glory. The sum of all, of all of that does not equal God. He's superior. He's, he's unlimited. His glory is abundant. There is no bounds to his beauty. There, there are no bounds to his beauty. And so everything that he made is below him. He, he's far vast than all of his works. And as the, the supreme creator, he's, he, he's the expert. He's the scholar on life. He's the genius when it comes to all that he's made. 
And we show that we truly admire him, that we truly know him when we rely upon him as the scholar about life, as the supreme genius about life, the smartest and most influential person who, who ever lived, who's ever lived. Now, how many of you know your name? You know your name. Like, I know my name. I'm going to raise my hand too. You know your name. Now, that's something you know. Like, all caps, K-N-O-W. You know that. Right. Right. You know that. You're the expert. You're the expert on your name. That's something you know. You're not guessing, correct? You're not guessing. You know that you know your name. That's something you know. And we can know that we know God. We can know that and not be guessing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says, We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And I paraphrase that by saying, when we rely upon him as the smartest and most influential person in our lives. We know that we know him if we keep his commands. And I'm paraphrasing that by saying, when we rely upon him as the smartest and most influential person in our lives. He knows the way. He's the scholar. He's the expert. So we're not guessing. We can know that we know God. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now the fear of the Lord provides a lens through which the individual Proverbs of chapters 10 through 31 are understood and implemented. Furthermore, the phrase fear of God, the concept of fear of God, functions as a synonym for the commands of God in Psalm chapter 19. It functions as a synonym for loving God, for obeying God. It functions as a synonym for being wise and knowledgeable and understanding. It functions as a synonym for all those things. Now, let's define the fear of the Lord. What is it? Let's define the fear of the Lord. So my third point, defining the fear of God. What is it? Now, the fear of the Lord is, it is the foundation of wisdom and knowledge. That's what it is. Proverbs 1.7, Proverbs 9.10. That was Proverbs 1.7, Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom and knowledge. What else is it? The fear of the Lord is wisdom. It is wisdom. It is skillfulness. It is wisdom. Job 28, verse 28. I love this. I fell upon this recently. It says, And God said to the human race, The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun understanding, to shun evil is understanding. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to shun evil is understanding. How many of you have heard of the word apostatize or apostate? Um, How many of you have heard the word depart? (laughs) Okay. Um, 
So the word apostatize or apostate has been used when people abandon when people abandon Jesus, they turn from him to other things, um, like forever. Uh, it's, called, it's called um, becoming apostate. So the word shun there is the same word for apostatize. It means to turn away from for good, to depart from good. So to turn away from evil for good is understanding. And the fear of the Lord is wisdom. Um, so in the book of Job, this is just a sidebar, so think parentheses right now. Um, in the book of Job, Job chapter 1, God, God um, he, he, he declares this about Job. He says he's blameless, he's, he's, um, he's righteous, he, he fears the Lord, he fears me. And later, you know, Job went through multiple trials, and then in chapters 28 through 31, Job takes time to speak about what his life looks like as a fearer of God, as one who reverences and stands in awe of God. So I want to give that to you so you can look at it later in your own time and just read what God says about Job in Job chapter 1 and then what Job says, he gives a testimony about himself in 28 through 31. And what I love about it, because he talks about his heart toward um, the opposite sex, toward women, and how he manages his heart. And he talks about how his relationship with his wife is, how his household is being managed. He talks about how he looks out for the good of his employees. He talks about how he loves and serves the poor. And we see all of these categories of service as an expression of fearing the Lord. An expression of fear of the Lord. So close parentheses. The fear of the Lord is also hatred for evil. How many of you know it's good to hate things? Um, I said that in the first service and somebody said, Amen! It's like, hold up now. <laughs> um, there, there, is, there is room for that. Uh, the fear of the Lord is hatred for evil. Proverbs 8.13, it says... To fear Yahweh is to hate evil. And wisdom is speaking here. And wisdom says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Um, So the fear of the Lord is that. The fear of the Lord is obedience to God and faithfulness to his commands. Uh, Remember, he's the expert. Psalm chapter 128, verse 1, it says, Blessed are all who fear the Lord who walk in obedience to him. That was Psalm 128, verse 1. Proverbs 14, 2. Whoever fears the Lord walks uprightly, but those who despise him are devious in their ways. What else is the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is deep admiration for him. Deep admiration for him. I want to read... Um, Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 6 through 10. I have it here. And it says, this is, this is good. He says, no one is like you, Yahweh. You are great. Your name is mighty in power. Who should not fear you? King of the nations, this is your due. Among the wise leaders of the nations in all their kingdoms, there is no one like you. That's called awe. Awe. 
standing in awe of him. Fear in the Lord is deep admiration for God as the creator and the sustainer of life. Now, um, the fear of the Lord is something we should be passionate about, according to the scriptures. Be passionate about this. For the Lord says, um, do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. For, sure, for surely, the future, a future hope for you, there's a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. Proverbs 23, 17, and 18. Proverbs 23, 17, and 18. Um, also, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4 through 10, it says, um, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade people. We persuade others. Paul is talking about, you know, um, whether I'm at home in the body or away with the Lord, my aim is to please him. He says this in um, verse 4 through 10. And he says, there's going to be a day when I'm going to stand before God and give an account for my life. And he, Paul has confidence that when he stands before God in that day, that he will be well received and he will be accepted. And there will be a great reward for him. But he says, I know that that's going to be a terrible day for some to, for, to stand before God. And he said, knowing the fear of the Lord. We persuade men. We persuade people. And so the fear of the Lord functions as an incentive to share the good news about Jesus, to make disciples of the nations. Functions as an incentive to share the good news about Jesus and to make disciples of all the nations because we know the fear of God. And as a result of knowing that, we persuade people. That was 2 Corinthians 5, verse 4 through 10. The fear, of the, the, the fear of the Lord enables one to resist misusing wealth, to help the poor, to respect spouses, to abstain from sin, to settle disputes, to keep one's promise, to be fair, to be true, to speak truthfully, to make amends for harming others. The fear of the Lord enables one to do that. And all of these attributes are in the Proverbs. They are the results of fearing God. And in Proverbs, the blessed, the wise, the faithful, the understanding, the disciplined, the righteous, the humble, the truthful, the diligent, the generous, the kind-hearted, those who delight in God, those who seek God, the obedient, those who are humble before God are those who fear him in the book of Proverbs. Those who fear God are wise. And the wise build their lives on the teachings of Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27, Jesus says, The one who hears these words of mine and put them into practice are like a wise person who built their house upon the rock. And the rain came. And the waters rose, the floods rose, and the winds blew violently and beat against that house, and it did not crash because it was founded upon the rock, the rock of his word. He said the wise person builds like that, builds their life upon him. And this is the path to everlasting joy and fulfillment. 
Everything else leaves us empty. This is the path to everlasting joy and fulfillment. Now, lastly, cultivating the fear of the Lord. Here are a few ways we can go about doing that. Cultivating the fear of the Lord. And I think of about approximately three ways. There, there, I can think of a fourth way, but we may not get there. And if we don't, don't get mad at me. No, no tomatoes. All right. So one way we can go about cultivating the fear of the Lord is by meditating on God as the creator and the sustainer of all things. We can go about cultivating the fear of the Lord by meditating on God's authority and his power as the creator and the sustainer of life. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 22. It says, Should you not fear me, declares the Lord? Should you not tremble in my presence? I made the sand as a boundary for the sea and an everlasting barrier it cannot cross. The waves may roll, but they cannot prevail. They may roar, but they cannot cross it. As we contemplate creation, and I know some of you probably really love the beach, you know, being at the beach, seeing the sand crash against the, uh, seeing the waves crash against the sand, that in itself is a picture of God's sustaining hand for the world. And when we meditate on the beauty of creation, the beauty of God sustaining it, we can grow to reverence him more. So first, meditating on his authority, his sustaining of the world. Secondly, we can grow in it by practicing what he says. When we rely on God by obeying him, we show that we believe that he truly is the smartest and most influential person in our lives. And once again, I reference 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Jesus is the smartest and most influential person in our lives, and we show that when we respond um, to what he has said. Dallas Willis says this, And can we seriously imagine that Jesus could be Lord if he was not smart? If he were divine, would he be dumb? Or uninformed? Once you stop to think about it, how could he be what we take him to be in all other respects and not be the best informed and most intelligent person of all? The smartest person who ever lived. How could he be all that we take him to be in all other respects? You know the beautiful and wonderful things we proclaim about Jesus. How could he be all of that? and not be the best informed and the most smartest person you ever know. It's incredible. And he's that for you. As, as Chris said last week, he's the life coach. He's the mentor. And thirdly, we can cultivate the fear of the Lord by memorizing his word. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, your word I have hid in my heart that I, have, that I may not sin against you. Your word I have hid in my heart that I may not sin against you. In Joshua chapter 1 verse 8, it says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. Then you will make your way prosperous and then you will find good success. And I want to present to you um, a beautiful psalm as a tribute 
to our awesome God. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. Those who fear him lack nothing. Lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord, they're on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He's close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord rescues servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And two other pieces to that psalm, the Lord says, He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. He said the righteous person will have many troubles. But the Lord will deliver him from them all. Amen.